right, will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you um, for your gift of your scriptures. Um, I thank you for the opportunity today to teach from these scriptures. I pray that where I make errors, you will correct me and you will protect others from being led astray. Um, I pray that you will open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. I turned to Ezekiel and I said, I love this song. I love this song. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. When Scott invited me to preach, he gave me my pick. Hope, love, joy, peace. And joy was what came to mind immediately. I said, I'll take joy. No hesitation, no second guessing, all caps. That's how I pictured it in my mind, all caps, joy, with an exclamation point. And I think maybe the reason, I started thinking about it afterwards, maybe the reason I saw it that way in my mind is that growing up, my grandma had, uh, as part of her Christmas decoration, she had these little wooden blocks. They're like alphabet blocks, like little kids have, like old, tiny wooden blocks. And they were painted J-O-Y, and then she had a set that said Noel. So blocks, bright red letters, and they were always set out at Christmas time. And somehow they made it into my family's home. Um, and then, so I grew up with these on our mantle place. And then as an adult, when I'd go back to my parents' house for Christmas, they were still there. So it's always part of our tradition, and part of our tradition, because we're jokesters, we would mix the letters up and we would spell different things. And in the most recent years, uh, before my parents sold their, the family home and moved away, um, my brother would move the block so that it said YOLO Jen. <laughs> so now you know, if you can take nothing else away from this, you can take Noel and Joy and scramble those letters and it spells YOLO Jen. Remember YOLO? YOLO, I don't, I don't think we say YOLO anymore, but this was like, I don't know, what, five years ago? We, YOLO, you only live once. That's what it stood for. Uh, that was a very popular slang. It was sort of a rally cry to live all out, right? To like grab life by the horns, no care for tomorrow, seize the day, leave nothing undone. And it, and it can be slightly inspirational, but what it really amounted to was a license to live life on your own terms. To relentlessly, maybe even recklessly, pursue your own bliss. Joy at all costs. Counterfeit joy. And that thought or that concept of counterfeit joy has come to mind over and over as I prepared this sermon, sometimes in ways that felt condemning, sometimes in ways that felt very um, gratitude filled, I'll say, because I could reflect back on the ways I have tried to smuggle joy into my own life. It's in some ways that have been very unhelpful, in some ways that have been very harmful. But truth be told, I think the reason that I immediately jumped at the opportunity to speak on joy was that I knew where it would take me. At least I thought I did. I thought I'll immerse myself in the study of joy, read about joy, think about joy, ponder joy. Maybe that will ensure that I actually feel joy. Because the truth is, I don't always feel joy at Christmas. In fact, many Christmas seasons aren't particularly joy-filled for me. And I hate to admit that, um, I wish it was different, but I do battle episodes of depression. And it seems like the Christmas season always brings an episode. I don't know what it's about, I don't know if it's seasonal, I don't know if it's the, dark, the short days, I don't know if it's missing people I love, the holidays, I don't know. But I do wish it was different and I know that as a Christian, I always feel like I should be more joyful, especially as we celebrate the birth of our savior. I feel like somehow I'm letting down the side. If 
by not being joyful. Sometimes I feel joyful, sometimes I don't. Maybe studying joy, maybe thinking about joy, maybe pondering joy would make me feel more, you know, joyful. And it did at first. So it turns out the Bible is filled, 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 filled with references to joy. Promises of joy, beautiful images of joy, commands to be joyful and to rejoice, which is just a way of saying to act out of your joy. Psalm 4, 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Psalm 16, 11, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. Psalm 101, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, all the earth. I love that. The imagery of trees, rocks, everything, all the earth, making a joyful noise. Isaiah 29, 19, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the holy God of Israel. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Habakkuk 3.18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Christmas story has lots of references to joy. Matthew says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They're like doubling down on joy. Of course, the Messiah is coming. In the first chapter of Luke, John literally, the unborn John, leaps for joy in his mother's womb at the news of Jesus. He's, that imagery to me is so beautiful, right? These two unborn babies and one is causing the other one to leap for joy in the womb. Luke 2.10, an angel shows up and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of joy that will be for all the people. And then Jesus' own words, which Das just read. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy, lots and lots of joy. Do a word study in your Bible on joy and you'll find a lot to study. So my study of the Bible, immersing myself in joy, was indeed joyful, but there's a danger in picking and choosing verses, taking what I call a coffee mug approach to study. Find a verse that makes you feel good, looks real pretty in calligraphy, camp on that. (laughs) That's my verse. Uh, I mean, look, all scripture is profitable, right? The Bible tells us all scripture is profitable, God-breathed, useful. I'm not knocking scripture, but a simple word search on joy will not hold up when you're not feeling joyful. When you find yourself in the depths of depression. And all of this became very, very practical for me this week. I had planned to spend Wednesday evening writing my sermon. I've been studying joy. I've been praying about joy. I've been thinking about joy. It's been the the obsession uh, of my my days and weeks. While I'm driving, I'm thinking about it. Wednesday was the night to put it on paper. But I was tired. Very tired. More than tired. It was a fatigue that is familiar. A joyless feeling depression. I should have expected it. In fact, I got a text from Angie this week saying, I'm praying for you as you prepare. And a note from Scott, I'm praying for you. I'm eager to see what the Holy Spirit has for us. And I should have realized that I should have been praying too against the enemy because I know how he attacks. He's so predictable. He will do anything to take your hands, your feet, your head, your heart, out of ministry. And here I was preparing to put words on paper, hoping to glorify God, to have the Holy Spirit work through me to, to share a message on joy. 
and I was feeling zero joy, zero joy. Got in a fight with my husband. That's always a good starting point. Hi, honey. Let's fight immediately. Like just the sight of him made me angry. Everything in my house looked wrong, out of place, chaotic. It wasn't good. Greg left to go work out as home, as in the house by myself, and I start hearing the lies. The snake shows up. (laughs) This is literally how it feels to me. The snake shows up. You've worked hard this week. You've worked so hard this week. You're too tired to do this. You know what you really deserve? As soon as I hear the word deserve, I know (laughs) it's the snake. Because I know what I deserve, and it's nothing good. You know what you really deserve? You know what would make you feel better instantly? So I have a, uh, a relationship with wine. And it's a, uh, I had a glass of wine last night with my husband and it was wonderful, no big deal. But that particular night, the snake showed up and said, open a bottle of wine. Don't, don't, write, don't write your sermon, open a bottle of wine. That will instantly make you feel better. False functional savior. I knew, I knew what that was all about. I knew if I opened, <laughs> popped open that cork, I was giving in. It was the bait on the hook. And when I realized it, I started praying against it. And then the enemy resorted. So he's tried to put bait on my hook. He's tried to put false joy on my hook. And I haven't taken that bait. So then he goes into full attack. Who are you to talk about joy? You just came home and had a fight with your husband. You're getting prepared to talk that sermon to other people about joy. Who are you? And all I could think to do in that moment, I thought of my friend uh, who has a profoundly disabled uh, daughter who has the cognition of about a four-year-old. And when Jackie is freaked out, stressed out, distressed, Jackie just says, Jesus, help. That's all I had. I literally felt so defeated. I felt so small and in such a pit in that moment. Jesus, help. I almost texted Mo and said, pray for me. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you and me, you and me. It was interesting. And and I I know it was the Holy Spirit. You may may not think that, like the Holy Spirit wouldn't tell you not to pray, right? But the Holy Spirit was telling me, come to me. No one else, no one else, you and me, we've got this. Let's do this. Open your Bible. And so I ended up on the floor with my Bible open. And I know it was the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit took me to a verse. My least favorite verse about joy in the Bible. James 1, 2 through 3. I had planned to talk about this verse and about how it's one of the most weaponized scriptures on joy. James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Anybody been inflicted with that one? When you are going through a rough time, you just lost your father, you go through a, the breakup of a relationship, you're in a financial stress, whatever, diagnosis, count it all joy. Christian, Christian coffee cup theology, right? It makes the worst sympathy card of all time. It's not helpful sometimes, but that's the danger in just picking and choosing verses and taking that coffee mug approach to study. You'd find that verse that makes you, makes you feel good or sounds good. It's easy. And you toss it out there. But God told me, open your Bible, read the whole thing. 
whole thing? No, not the whole Bible. The whole chapter, the whole chapter of James. And when I read that chapter of James, I saw it in a way I hadn't seen it before. I realized James isn't weaponizing joy. He's not saying to grin and bear it, fake it till you make it. In his beautiful letter to early Christians, he's telling them that their suffering is not in vain. That the God who knows them and loves them is working in them, molding and shaping them. He's growing their faith and he's producing steadfastness so that this person will not be tossed around by their emotions. They won't be unstable, he says, or what he calls double-minded, doubting in God's goodness. And isn't that what happens? Our feelings are real, but they're not always really helpful. And here's the mistake that I think we make as Christians. We either walk around so grim and joyless and that joy of the Lord is not evident in us. My, a friend of mine used to say, I'll take up running when I see a runner who's actually smiling. <laughs> and I wondered the same thing, right? Sometimes we can be so grim as Christians. Like maybe that's not very attractive to other people. Like where's the joy of the Lord in us? On the other hand, we can take this fake it till you make it, count it all joy sort of veneer that may be attractive outwardly, but it doesn't hold when real trial comes. And real trial always comes. James, brother of Jesus, tells the early church to count on it. Jesus himself says that in this world we will have trials. Plan on it. He says, so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No honest reading of scripture could ever lead you to believe that your life will be one nonstop joy fest. Not as the world defines it. Not in the feel-good, YOLO, be-all-you-can-be, live-your-best-life-now sort of way. But it's the beautiful dichotomy of the Christian walk. Here we are at Christmas time. The people were expecting a savior. They got a baby born into the most humble of circumstances. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrecks me when I picture him literally suffering sweating blood, asking God if there is any other way. (coughs) Jesus, the son of God incarnate, the unborn baby who causes the unborn John to to leap in his mother's joy, leap in his mother's womb for joy. This same baby would grow up. He would be betrayed, reviled, unfairly tried, abandoned, abused, a man of many sorrows, the Bible says, yet full of joy. Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Joy, joy, joy set before him enduring the cross. This is not a YOLO sort of joy. I have a new acronym. Y-O-G-U-Y-L-O. I don't know how to pronounce it. You only give up your life once. (laughs) He gave his life up once and for all. This is not party like a rock star, doing it for the gram sort of joy. This is real joy. When we chase the feeling of joy, we're in danger of being that unstable, double-minded person that James warns about. Praising God on the happiest of days then doubting his goodness on the worst. Or even worse than that, doubting his existence at all then we commit the most unoriginal sin of all, 
Eve in the garden, listening to the lies of the enemy, believing that maybe God doesn't really love us, that he's withholding the good stuff from us. So we play God and we smuggle the joy in. Maybe it's a sinful pleasure. Maybe it's a not so sinful pleasure, but it's still sin because it's denying God his rightful place. It's that very sin that separates us from God. And so being, instead of being drugged around by our feelings, our feelings are real, they're God-given. We were made to feel the things, but we weren't meant to, meant to be led by our feelings. Feelings should come on the tail end of the train, not the front. It's a very unreliable locomotive. What should be at the front is truth. The truth that God made you, he loves you, he's perfect. You're not, I'm not. Our sin separates us from God, but he loves us and doesn't want us to be separated from him. So he sent who? Jesus. Jesus. He sent Jesus. The father sent the son, his only son, not on a stallion wielding a sword, but as a baby, a baby who grew into a man who lived a perfect life and willingly, joyfully, the scriptures say, gave up his life, dying on a cross so that we could be reconciled, put back in relationship with the God who knows us, who loves us and calls us by name. And then, even as if that wasn't enough, he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we are never, ever alone, never operating under our own power. I don't care what cool thing is waiting for you under your tree. Nothing's cooler than that. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I will, because I think you guys will appreciate this. After this intense study, literally that depression that sometimes can last for days, because it also sometimes accompanies the after effects of having drowned my sorrows, which only then makes it worse, and then I feel guilt and shame and all the things that come along with that. Instead, that very evening, it all lifted. It all lifted. My husband came back in the house. I was sitting on the floor in my living room in front of my couch. He laid behind me on the couch So he was literally like behind me over my shoulder as I continued my study. And he said, tell me about your sermon. And I apologized to him. I repented and I explained to him what God had done right there in that living room while he was out on the rower. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me, he's like, that's crazy. It is crazy. So the next morning I woke up and the Holy Spirit says, let's read Jonah. I haven't read Jonah in a while, but man, what a beautiful masterpiece that, that book is. I think of Jonah as a kid ministry story, right? It's like it, it makes for really good storytelling with the whale and all the things. Dude who follows his feelings right into the belly of a whale. God had a plan and a purpose for him, but he didn't feel like it. He was following his feelings instead of following God's calling. But God is relentless in his pursuit of Jonah, just like he's relentless in his pursuit of us. And I realized as I read Jonah that the whale isn't a punishment. It's actually how God chose to save him from the sea. He used that time in the whale to let Jonah come back to the truth. So I just, I want to read, I don't, Jonah, can you read Jonah at Christmas? Are you allowed? I'm going to read it. Is it really? Do whatever you want. I need my glasses for this one. Okay. He's in the belly of the fish and he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. I literally felt like this Wednesday night, you guys. All the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again, I shall again look upon your holy temple. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. And this one jumped out. Those who pay regard to vain idols, false gods, God frauds. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And I would add in their joy because that steadfast love should provoke joy. But I, with voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And here's the coffee mug verse, guys. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That is how I felt on Wednesday morning. Like, I had been thrust out of that fish, and praise God, and thank you, Lord, for, for that. It was an intense moment of remembering that those who turn to false gods, those who turn away from God or try to smuggle in their own joy, they forsake joy. They forsake true joy. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I really pondered on that for a good long time. And really, my strength comes from finding my joy in the author of joy. Thanks be to God. Father God, I thank you for... Um, I thank you for your word, all of it, all of it, the hard words, the confusing words, the funny words. I mean, you wrote about a fish vomiting out Jonah. That's super cool. And I thank you that you, that you never let go of us. You never stop pursuing our heart and you are committed to bringing us, drawing us back to you, even when we run. I thank you for sending your son on a rescue mission to to save us from the sin that we couldn't save ourselves from. I thank you that that's what we celebrate this Christmas, the unexpected but the lavish love that you have for us. I ask that you would bless this day, that you would uh, drive this message deep into our hearts, that it would be a joy that we feel uh, beyond the circumstances of the day or the world or the environment that we find ourselves in, that we would be wholly rooted and focused upon you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.